The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. As sports keeps coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball's back, and BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right. Visit BetOnline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. And don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back-to-sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Episode of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host and contributor to the birdrights.com and Bleacher Report, Preston Ellis. Today, ah, it's a somber mood. The Pelicans have officially been eliminated uh, with Portland's win and the Pelicans' unfortunate loss at the hands of the San Antonio Spurs. However, we do have 75% of our team together to talk about it today. The Prince of the Protocol is with us, the proud pup dad to both Iverson and Babs, Mr. Kevin Berrios. Kevin, uh, game aside, how are you doing this fine morning? I'm doing okay. Um, after this, I got, I'm going to head over to my little studio. I set up at my sister's condo and work on some more drawings. And then tomorrow is Grub and I's birthday. So Ooh. the folks are coming in and cooking some food over there for us. Um, so we'll go hang out over there. Um, so yeah, it's uh, been pretty nice outside of the game. And I did, I'll be honest, I didn't pay a lot of attention to this last game. So I've already told Preston not to ask me a lot of questions about the last game. <laughs> Uh, because I had some friends over, uh, so I got to see some friends I hadn't seen in a long time since quarantine, really. Um, so I'm not as in a bad mood as most of you guys are today, I would say. Don't worry. As long as you saw the Clippers game and the Kings game, I think you got the gist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, right. somebody Kevin, not- happy birthday, man, in advance. Oh, thank you. Yeah, man. Uh, 30 never looks so good, man. Happy yeah. for you. Yeah, uh, I gave- Funnily enough, I gained a year on my life because this whole time I kept thinking I was going to be 43, but I'm actually 42. So I, I, I get, <laughs> I'm actually younger than I thought I was. Now that Yeah, but you're getting brother. older because you screwed that up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Now, Kevin might be chill, but you've already heard the fiery voice of our editor-in-chief to the birdrights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. Ali, how are you feeling this morning? I am feeling pretty good. I don't have the same issues as a lot of Pelicans fans. Because the writing was on a wall, I felt like, after they start 0-2. So I'm actually glad that they're out now. Say they hang on to win that game, and then, you know, the letdown comes in one of the next two games. Or they win all three and they still lose out, right? But, yeah, anyways, time to move on, man. Let's start talking about what we need to do. All right, Kevin. Uh, we don't need to, to cover the semantics of the game. Obviously, the score was 122 to 113. More importantly, the Pelicans are now eliminated from playoff contention. And Kevin, here's the the source of uh, topic of conversation right now. Heading into this, we discovered this uh, or discussed this in the group last night. Heading into this, I felt like we had a lot more answers than we have questions now two and four and seemingly without any effort on display for pretty much every game with the exception of Utah and Memphis, we have a lot more questions now, Kevin. Uh, how, how much has this reversed its axis in just six games? You know, I'm a little bit different than you because I don't think it really has. I, I said all along, I was going to, wasn't going to put a whole lot of stock in what happened in the bubble just because it was such a unique situation. Um, and I have a feeling um, you know, I think the holes that we discussed previously are definitely still there. You know, it'd be nice to have another uh, backup point guard that you can rely on if you're not ready for uh, Nikhil to step up. Obviously, a, like a 3-4 tweener defender, stretch four-ish kind of guy would be good. And then more of a long-term answer at the center position. I think those are still the three needs. Um, also, you know, I said last offseason and I retweeted the article Chris and I wrote last offseason this morning if you want to go check it out 
about coaching candidates because I, you know, I didn't understand the idea of hanging on to Alvin Gentry when you had such a high roster turnover and you're building a new culture from scratch. Um, I think he's done a better job than I expected him to from the very beginning. Um, but I mean, the writing's on the wall, it's done. And I think, I think really they had already made the decision before going to the bubble. And I think they probably told him before, which I think would be fair, especially considering health issues and his age, you know, look, this is it for you. You want to opt out, opt out. This is all speculation on my part, but this is just what I feel like happened. And I feel like you could see that sort of two weeks notice kind of vibe with the coaching staff and the team really going into there. There wasn't a lot of urgency. I mean, I did pay attention very heavily to the beginning of the game yesterday. Then when I realized the effort that they were putting out, I kind of shifted into hanging out with my friends because that was a must win game and they came out so flat, Um, you know, and that's just indicative of, attitude from top down. Um, so I, I think there was, there was a really strong chance that he was told that he was going to be let go or, you know, reassigned into the front office perhaps um, before going to Orlando. So I think those are the issues. I think coaching is, is a big issue. And then, you know, I think we still have the same issues that we've had all season. I'm not panicking over Alonzo's bad uh, bubble situation. I think he's going to be fine. Um, there's just you know, a lot of outside factors that played into a lot of bad performances. I do agree. I mean, you guys were talking before. I'll let y'all talk more about it. But um, that Derek Favors, I think, definitely I thought was going to be a guy that I would like to retain, but I definitely don't know if I feel that way because I was already like, you know, he brings certain things, but I think you can find those things in other players cheaper. And the things that he brings in theory is things that we need, uh, screen setting, boxing out, defending the rim, even though he's not like a shot blocker, which we always have talked about. Um, but I, I think we can find a cheaper, younger, or even maybe even like a same age kind of guy, but just cheaper that um, just to inject some new life because he seemed to be totally checked out mentally um, for, for the bubble and for a lot of the season, uh, which he rightfully, you know, he had very strong reasons why. I mean, his mother died and then he had injury issues. So, a tough year but i think it might be one of those things where it's like best for both parties if we just part ways um so that's my take on it i'm gonna let ollie jump in or you jump in on, on my thoughts if you'd like let me just uh cut cut uh off ollie for a second because i want to follow up on this conspiracy theory and i want to trace a line of clues that kevin mentioned number one jeff bazelic didn't make himself uh present and and for good reason 67 years old and obviously we we want to promote his health and safety and if you don't feel comfortable you shouldn't go however griff uh during the second game mentioned sustainable success being more important than winning games he he mentioned that he was grateful to have the opportunity to participate in meaningful games but i think that set the precedent for the whole two weeks versus uh, worth of games and Ali Gentry also uh, wasn't shy about throwing the medical team under the bus whenever he had the opportunity to those those minute increments to Zion were really difficult on the Pels at least it appeared that way early maybe some of those instances in the first few games like Kevin said really caused some drama uh, behind the scenes that led to some of this poor effort on display do you think there's something happening behind the scenes that led to these poor performances I do I mean, as I tweeted out last night, the Pelicans didn't show this lack of con- effort consistently on a consistent basis um, all season, all during the regular season, even during that 13-game losing streak. I only remember just a few clunkers in there. Uh, but most parts, the effort was there on those nights, but it hasn't been the case here in Orlando. And really, since that Utah game, that loss in the opener, I mean, three of the last five games, they've really just been beyond sluggish, um, both mentally and physically. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of laziness, and I think this is important to differentiate, but we, we're not seeing the kind of laziness that we saw out of the teams, like, say, Anthony Davis right before the trade request, where it, it really raised our eyebrows, right? I remember a loss in Miami where the guys just did not show up. No, this was more like just the Pelicans know what was at stake, but the, the, all the sense of urgency wasn't there. Like, so th- they're starting games here in the bubble – like they would a game in like November, October to me, where it's like they're coming out at 80, 85, 90%. That's where all the opponents were not, right? I mean, that's why they got smacked in the mouth. Uh, teams got on fire from three early because that's how much more focus 
and intensity they brought, and that's what the Pelicans should have brought. They should have been at that 110% level, but they weren't. So what happened? Why didn't that happen? So I definitely think there's something behind that, but I do want to clear this up. I don't think there's anything involving like, like what Kevin said. He mentioned his speculation regarding Alvin already being told. He was like, Oh, I don't believe that really for a minute. Um, also, I don't think that Alvin threw the medical staff so much under the bus with his comments as he was just upset of just having basically his hands tied behind his back. So he couldn't really comment on things and he was just frustrated with it. Right. As a coach, you know, he, you're right, Preston, in saying that he does not have, you know, the full discretion of utilizing Zion as he wants. But at the same time, you know, there's nothing he can say or really do. So it's just more frustration I heard than like throwing anybody on the bus, like the medical staff. So I just think in general, you've just got to be careful in how we evaluate this because it was such a disappointment, right? Everybody had these hopes. But again, remember, think back to what Griffin said before everybody went to Orlando. And that was he was going to take all the results with a grain of salt because he knew just just how, you know, a four month break is going to affect things, the pandemic, the social injustice, whatever else the players had going on in their lives. So we don't know, but there probably was something there. Who knows as to what, but it affected the team. So it's harder to judge this team and therefore take too much out of it if suddenly you can't evaluate them properly. And that, of course, is if they're not given their full effort. Right. It's usually easier when the defense is just crappier, the offense, but the guys are giving it their all like they should. But that wasn't the case here. So it'll be interesting to see what transpires because we don't know, right? We're just guessing here. So I think that's just dangerous to do. And I don't want anybody jumping to conclusions. I know I'm talking and rambling, but there's a lot to say here. For instance, I'm seeing so many people jumping off the bridge already regarding Lonzo Ball. That's ridiculous. We saw three-plus months of really good play from him. He's 22 years old, growing. Before the season, he didn't have any kind of semblance of a jump shot. Look where he ended up, you know, before the bubble. So, I don't know. There's just a lot of things that everybody's got to take their time on, really reevaluate things properly instead of just jumping, like I said, to major conclusions. Ali, let me just uh, ask you this, because you you brought up a thing that I wanted to bring up and I slipped my mind, is is, um, Griffin saying that there were going to be no evaluations really taken from the bubble. So... Wouldn't it be fair to say that if he's not taking evaluations on players from the bubble, that he's also not taking them on the coaching staff from the bubble? Therefore, yeah, that, his decision going forward with Gentry should have already been made before going to the bubble, correct? Yeah, I agree with that. I, so, just to clarify, so, I think what really... Um, so my let me just finish this real quick. Okay. So my point being, if you know, if, for instance, he knows that he's moving on from Gentry, wouldn't you think because of their relationship that he would give him a heads up going into that because of the health concerns going forward? He would, you would think, but I don't think that Griff had his mind made up. I don't think there's any way Alvin goes to Orlando whereby Griff knowingly puts a coach's life or his health at risk just for those two weeks when he knows full well he's not coming back. I just don't believe David Griff is that type of guy. Honestly, and, well, and we've got to think. These I guys, think Griffin would have told him, and yeah, he would have told. So therefore, I don't think it, to me that, that, that no decision was ever made whether Allen uh-huh. was going to be retained or let go before the bubble. All right, Kevin, I'm going to get in here. Uh, I, I know you take all this with a grain of salt. Uh, that's what David Griffin said. Uh, that's what Ollie's saying. It's it's difficult to judge this on the two weeks. It's unprecedented. There's a pandemic. These guys were off for four months. We have no idea uh, just how they were able to work out. It was an abbreviated training camp, all that good stuff. However, the Pelicans have a lot of critical decisions they need to make. We've already mentioned uh, Gentry, obviously. Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball are up for extensions. It seems uh, less than likely, in my opinion, now that the, the Pelicans will be able to come to terms with them unless they get something very favorable, which I w- would imagine. I would imagine both these guys are willing to bet on themselves and play out another season. Of course, Brandon Ingram is going to get max. But the other uh, one that's that's really tricky at this point, Kevin, is is well, we mentioned Derek Favors, who might have lost himself a good bit of money uh, playing these two weeks. But Drew Holiday, Kevin, uh, obviously he's got one year remaining, and then he's got a player option. We all expect him to opt out of that and to get one big payday. But after what we've seen from these two weeks, do you think the Pelicans' perspective of Drew long-term has changed in any way? No. I mean, they think what they think about Drew. I don't think that changed at all. Everybody knows he's the best perimeter defender in the league. Um, offense has always been 
up and down. You know, he has the ability to be great, um, but he also has the ability to, to disappear. And we saw all those things in the bubble. And then also when you add to Drew, you have the kind of person he is, which the team likes for sure. And then also, you know, his wife is pregnant and he's away from his pregnant wife. And you're not taking much from the bubble to begin with, but you know, a guy that's away from his pregnant wife who's had health issues in the past is going to be more distracted than somebody who's not. So you're definitely not going to judge off performances from him. Um, you know, in, in, in the bubble, when you're definitely saying you're not making evaluations in the bubble. So I definitely don't think any perspective on Drew has changed uh, in the front office, has it changed with me. That being said, you know, I've always been, I'm not sure what the answer is with Drew going forward. I, I see both sides of the argument. Um, his de defense is like impossible to replace, but if you could possibly move him for parts that fill a bunch of other holes and will, will that be, um, you know, a, a greater advantage to, to fill out the rest of the rotation? Will it create um, more, more chances to win less holes uh, by doing that? Or will you just take an already bad defensive team and then make them even worse? Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is on that yet. Um, but I, I think that they're, that's something they're going to evaluate and they're going to evaluate it just like they would have if this bubble never happened. I don't think they'll take anything from this performance as they said they would. All right, let I, me just... I just right. Preston, I just want to jump in here real quick. I want to clarify on those comments by Griffin that we're talking about not taking things or just taking them with a grain of salt from Griffin. I think that applies to, say, somebody having a bad shooting uh, bubble performance. I think that applies to somebody having slower feet because they weren't in the condition that they should have been physically because of the layoff. But I don't think that also pertains to maybe certain things that were now made apparent to Griff or the front office. And that is like saying a lack of motivation or energy, seeing that somebody may be problematic in how they approach the game and get up for the game or lead, by example. And so I, I think it's, it's kind of a two-way street, right? Griffin didn't say not everything wouldn't be taken consideration, but he just said with a grain of salt. So I, I like I said, I think it's certain things that um, you would expect maybe a layoff to um, like hurt performances or such aren't going to be obviously considered and rightfully so. But there are certain things I think that should count. And I'm pretty sure that's how Griff will approach it. So I just wanted to make that clarification because I really think that's important to point out. I'd also say we played a lot of early afternoon games and traditionally we've been terrible in early afternoon games for, throughout our history of this team. And like we were playing like 1230 games, which we like never play the two o'clock games every now and then you see us play, but that's, and we're always come out flat in those. It's just, I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's players or what, but we always seem to come out flat in early games, no matter what. So that was a disadvantage for us going into this uh, situation as well. Yeah, me, and uh, real quick, I just want to touch on not every ah. game that they – sorry, press, I keep cutting you <laughs> off. We, but I want to point this out also too because if you notice in all the three blowouts, it, they, different things happen. In the Clippers game, I felt like the Pelicans just weren't into – and Alvin was right into the Clippers enough. So you gave them just a little bit of airspace, and they were hot from three – they got destroyed, but I didn't see like a lack of super effort to where they're not running up and down the court. Like I thought against the Kings, the effort was so bad, right? And we saw it a few other instances as well. But I think that you're, you're, you're making an ex excellent point, Kev. Not only does the timing of everything hurt, but I also just I feel like that the, the, the play in Orlando was so unexpected. Like a veteran team, they know what they need to do. But the Pelicans, who, I, like I said, weren't loafing in that Clippers game, but they didn't play at 110% level, got smacked down. So I think that's not necessarily a fault as a team as much as this, just in an inexperience, right? Kind of like a novice thing. So, you know, th there's a lot of things, I guess what I'm trying to say, that, that really affect each game, this whole bubble play, and, and how people deal with their evaluations. You're absolutely right to bring that up. All right. The reason I keep trying to cut you guys off, because I, I want to give a shout out to the guys who are asking some of these questions that we're covering uh, in, in regards to Gentry. We've got questions from Keith Gum, Bull Through the Ages, 
uh, we we covered Drew and his long-term future, and I'm going to ask one more question to, to Kevin on that. Let me just quickly cover those. Metro Yo-Yo, uh, let's see, uh, Zotu or Uncle Zotu. I know we had some some other ones, but uh, I'll, I'll cover those in a second. So, Kevin, um, this is going to be a, a tricky year, a tricky negotiation phase. I know you said these eight games uh, aren't necessarily going to predict the future or change it in any event, but the Pelicans do have to make a decision. Uh, you don't think they can go into next season with him essentially being a lame duck uh, because the Pelicans can essentially lose him next summer for nothing. If the Pelicans aren't able to lock him up, I think free agency starts around October 19th. Do you think they have to trade him? Who's the him? I'm sorry, I missed the, that Sorry, part. Drew Holiday. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, like I said, I, I don't think you just trade them to trade them. Um, I think if somebody comes to you with a good deal or if you have something in mind with like, you, you know, all right, this is how I want to replace this guy. And you see if that's available and you're satisfied with that deal, then you make it. Um, but like I said, his defense on a team that desperately needs defensive players is so crucial and so irreplaceable. I mean, how many guys out there can do what he does defensively? Maybe, maybe like, you know, if you're looking for young guys that are, that could come in to fit more of the timeline, you're talking Mikhail Bridges, Matisse Tybel, and that's about, that's pretty much the list, you know, uh, OG Ananobi. Um, and, and that's about it. So unless you're getting one of those guys and some other pieces to help fill out the rest of the holes, I don't necessarily see how you replace what he can bring but part of the problem is, I think, is because Drew has that ability to be a great offensive player that the team expects him to be that all the time or a lot of the time, and he just fails in that situation. So I think they got to start game planning somewhat differently to where they don't rely on his buckets and just rely on his defense and build around him that way. Um, so that's another question. And then that becomes a question of how much is he worth, um, in the future? Because I mean, we know Drew can put up 30 points in a game, but we know he can also just get five or he could score 20 in the first half and score two in the second half. That's just the Drew holiday experience. So you need to get yourself to a point to where you don't need to rely on his offense, but you can thrive because of his defense. Um, and, and I, so that's just the way they have to look at it. They either have to build in a way where they don't need him offensively or, or trade to replace his defense and fill other holes. Um, so I don't have the answer to that yet. I mean, I've looked at some ideas, but um, it's just hard to get value for a player like him back and what he brings to the city also and in, in his persona personality and his charitable work. Um, so it's a tough situation. And I'm like, I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. Um, and I see, the um, the pluses and minuses of both sides, you know, so I'm not going to be mad at whatever they do. Um, it would be nice if they could find a way to keep them just so we have that one guy that we've had for years to cheer for, but in a way that works for the team and not for a way that handicaps them. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll hop in here. Uh, Ali, just in regards of what we saw defensively from the Pelicans, obviously they gave up a franchise record, three-pointers, 25 to the Clippers, 49 first quarter points to the Kings, another record. And a lot of that came with Brandon Ingram and Zion on the floor, missing assignments, uh, failing to communicate, missing rotations. And it wasn't just them, it was all of them. But but obviously we've seen what, what they can do offensively, and we would love for them to be able to pair 4-5 in small ball lineups, uh, possibly death lineups akin to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, from what you saw in these eight games, does that change your long view perspective of the two of them paired in the front court, not, not at the 3-4? Obviously we know they can fit there, but in terms of 4-5, do you think they'll be able to grow into those roles together? I don't think we know or anybody knows if that'll be the case because Zion, you know, defensively looked just as bad as he did prior to the shutdown. And for, you know, for him to play the five, he's going to be have to be able to not only uh, play his position, defend his position well, and that includes, you know, not only banging with centers, but all pick and rolls, any kind of help coverages, you know, near the rim, weak side. So that's that's a ton of responsibility, right? Centers, good defensive centers are anchors of good defenses. Usually that's a given. And so Zion's got a lot of work to do, I think, to get to that position. Because, look, Draymond Green, he, he's a heck of a defender, right? Let's not 
forget what Draymond Green brings. And we saw none of that from Zion on that side of the ball this year. So I think that's the biggest question mark. Next, of course, is Ingram. Can he hold his own against fours, right? I mean, he is, you know, I don't know if he'll ever gain the weight or strength that he needs in order to basically bang with guys out of position bigger than him. Um, I think it may happen because he did seem to get a little bit bigger between, you know, March and now. But, you know, then again, I always feel like maybe three's his best position. But then he's also not fast enough to guard some of the threes in the league, right? All the perimeter players, the smaller guys. So it, that's a real interesting question. Um, Let me ask a lot of people real- say that Ingram and Zion kind of play the same position, which you kind of see at times because they're both best fitting at four, depending on who the opponent is. So I don't know. But again, when, when are questions like not out there when it involves, you know, a guy who just turned 20 and a 22 year old, right? I mean, so I, I just think that the, the Pelicans still have time to figure all of that out. So in essence, you've got to basically plan to have all sorts of different positions of need. So you need to have a reliable center, but you also need to have a lot more reliable, smaller defenders too, uh, to fit around Zion and Ingram, because let's face it, they're both subpar right now. And who knows if and when they'll become at least average or above average. So that's a, you know, that's just too hard of a question right now, Preston, to say one way or the other. Let me ask you this. Yeah, go for it. Um, what, who do you think is more likely to develop in a way that they can fill the, that position, shifting Ingram to the four or Zion to the five? I feel like Zion to the five seems more likely than playing Ingram to the four. And I have a little bit of trouble with the idea of the fact that we finally have a small forward and then we're trying to move him to the four. Like, I don't like that very much. And like, I get why you're doing that to try to play um, Mm -hmm. Zion at the five, but we finally have that dynamic wing score that we've been thirsty for. I completely agree. And so why do we need to move him to the four? I'd rather just find well, another guy. It's because Alvin did it so much this year, right? Because he's got what, – what's the strength of this team? It's a bunch of freaking combo guards. That, I mean, they have a ton of them that right. can play, that can score the ball. So I think that was a move that was made out of necessity and therefore, you know, planted in the heads of ideas. Hey, it's a small ball era. Ingram's 6'9". Why can't he be more like Durant, right? And play the four a lot of times. The thing is, is so, Ingram's not really six nine, is he? Once those measurements came out, the real measurements. Well, they, yeah, seven. they say he's six seven, but he's closer to six nine, man. I've stood but, next to the guy. There's no way he's six seven. But no. also, I just ha- feel like it's easier for him to gain some sort of lateral burst and lateral quickness and just become yes. a headier defender uh, than to gain bulk and mass and size to be able to defend a four. To begin with. Kevin, as a Laker, Brandon Ingram did a really good job guarding Smalls, right? And, and I don't yeah. know what happened this year, but he lost either all that mobility or that desire to do that, to stay with the, the whoever his assignment was. But Lakers fans have pointed that out consistently to me over the year, and I've looked at some clips, and they're right. They're, they're not lying. So I, I think that that would be his best position, staying at the three. But he's got to regain what he was once able to do. All right, I'm going to hop in here. I'm very quickly pulling up statistics on Clayton and Glass. Just to mention why you would want Brandon Ingram uh, at the four. Uh, I can't find Zion's minute tolls. But anyway, according to Cleaning the Glass, in about 10% of his minutes, I'm guessing he played around 500 minutes on the season, uh, the Pelicans were 12.2 points better than their competition when Zion played the five. And why is that? Because they scored 12 points more mm-hmm. per 100 possessions on the offensive side of the floor. They shot 5% better uh, effective field goal percentage. So basically they just couldn't be stopped on the offensive end. So if you put... Uh, Zion in that position and you slide Ingram down to the four, obviously they're going to give up a lot defensively. They gave up four points more on the defensive end, but what you're then given offensively makes you thereby unstoppable. Of course, we know that Zion did that against bench units. So it's not, it's to be taken with a grain of salt. Uh, but for what they scored on the offensive end, that would put them on pace to be a 67 win team. Again, it's a small sample size. It's probably somewhere around 50 minutes he played, but that's, that's the idea. That's why you'd want to see if those two can work right uh, in those two positions because they couldn't be stopped on the offensive side of the floor. Now let me slide back to questions. Wait, uh, quick, got- I get that, but I don't see those two moves having to be tied together. Like I, why can't you play Zion at, at the five and Ingram still at the three and have another. Thank you. Guy I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. I think Jeremy Grant, somebody like that, 
put them, Jeremiah, excuse me, Grant, if you put them at the four, you can leave Ingram at the three, Zion at the five, and I think you still get the same results pretty much offensively, but the defense and the rebounding gets major upgrades. I, I agree a thousand percent with you on I mean, that. Even somebody like, like Marvin Williams, like, you know. Well, he's somebody, probably washed up a little bit. Yeah, you don't want to rely on him. Like I a realistic get. I mean, I, I don't think that's necessarily – I mean, he can stretch the floor. He can rebound. He, he's playing pretty well for the Bucks. you know. Oh, God. Those are the screams I used to make when I'd cut myself shaving, you know where. But that was before Manscaped. Thanks, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Look, who here doesn't get nervous about grooming their man parts? And that's why Manscaped created the Lawnmower 3.0, beautifully designed to reduce those painful nicks and tugs. The Manscaped engineering team obsesses over technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your family jewels. So many people have written in stories about how the Lawnmower 3.0 has changed their lives. They even included pics so I could see the smoothness for myself. And they aren't kidding. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. As sports keeps coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball's back, and BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. And don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back-to-sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. I'm trying to pull up statistics on B-Ball Index. It's a little bit slower, but I do have cleaning the glass open. And the thing is, you can want Ingram to be a long-term three, but in today's NBA, you're going to have to play both positions. You're going to have to defend both positions. And as a matter of fact, in uh, 2019-2020, Brandon Ingram played 40% – or sorry – 61% of his minutes at the four. So he played almost two thirds of his minutes at that position. So you're going to have to be able to play both. So he's going to have to expand his game, but let's, let's move on uh, because we, we haven't talked about Lonzo ball yet. We have talked about the, the, the six games in the bubble tournament and what we can possibly take away from them. However, you can argue that nobody's (laughs) disappointed more than, than Lonzo ball, just in terms of his development shooting. And, and now the step back he's taken Uh, throughout the regular season. I think he was shooting around 38% from three and in the, six games he's shooting closer to 20 percent and he's shooting 25 percent from the field uh i think we'll start with kevin um are you concerned it's a small sample size it's six games uh but we've got a lot of questions and and i'll go through the names after you answer this this is from tejeda do you ignore consider lonzo's bubble play when it comes time for extension talks i mean it's hard to ignore it um but i don't put the most of the weight into it you know i put most of the weight into what was happening during an actual basketball season that felt like a real basketball season um and and, uh so i was very satisfied with what we got out of lonzo during the regular season um obviously he was a train wreck in the bubble um but you know we saw progression from him on a lot of things we saw him even in the bubble even though he wasn't very good some attack some more which is like I think the hardest thing to change for a player is mentality and I think that him not having the attack mentality is the thing that was always holding him back so if he can still continue to attack and improve upon that and then get back into the group of what we saw during the regular season I'm very satisfied with the player that he is now, I've always been a person who said, I don't think he deserves the max contract. I think he's a Karis LeVert contract player. And I think that's definitely true. And I think maybe this performance sort of helped my argument in that case uh, and, and maybe allows you to get him signed to that instead of giving him the max. Um I'm still open to giving him the max if that's what you need. If you really feel like him and Zion are the pieces that you're building around him, Zion and Ingram, but him, you know, Zion is definitely the face of this franchise going forward. So whatever maximizes Zion's going to be what you do. Um, so I, you know, I'm still open to that, but I really think his value is that 17, 17 and a half to $18 million a year, you know, Ricky Rubio, Karis LeVert sort of contract because He's never going to be a 25-point-a-game scorer for you. He'll give you 25 every few games, 20 a few games. Some games he'll have nine points, you know, but he's providing you perimeter defense, rebounding, and he's 
running your offense for you. And, you know, he, depending on what the coaching staff looks like going forward, a player like him might be very crucial in, in creating uh, sets and, and um, more structured offenses. Um, you know, he's playing in a, in a different style right now, which a lot of people think fits him, but maybe sometimes some more structure might actually make him better. Um, so we'll see what that is, but I think he has tools to be a very good player, you know, definitely a top half of the league point guard. Um, I don't know that he's going to be a multi multi-year all-star. Uh, I think he might get an all-star game here or there possibly in his future. Um, I don't think he'll ever be all NBA, but I think he's a very good player and a cornerstone that they should definitely try to build around. And I think even if you try to build around him and it's not really working, I think he still has that value enough that you'll be able to move him. You might have to take like 80% back, you know, on the trade, but I don't think it's something that's going to like hamper you for your future. If you, if you invest in, in him now, you know, uh, questions from Will Limbo and Icy Mike. Uh, I, I want to follow up on this, Ollie. Lonzo Ball's eighth on the Pelicans in usage. Do you feel like the Pelicans are utilizing him correctly? Yes, <laughs> I do. I think he's, he's a perfect guy who doesn't want the responsibility of the shot clock or having to do something in the half court on a consistent basis, at least not probably for a few years until he can develop both the confidence and the game necessary for that. You know, I got super excited in the scrimmage when we saw him uncork a floater, right? I remember Kevin making some reference to each one, and, and a bunch of us caught it and saw it. And we saw enough glimpses over the course the regular season before COVID to give us a good feeling of how he would fit on this roster. Make your catch-and-shoot threes, especially when Ingram and Zion are going to be your two biggest usage guys. So you got to be able to hit that three. Um, he's great for the fast break, right? Because if the Pelicans are going to play fast, boy, I mean, I can't name three better guards that you want on your team than Lonzo executing, you know, transition breaks because he makes decisions so quickly. He can rebound, you name it. And of course, defensively, you know, he can guard pretty much three positions. But again, he can, but can that can turn into uh, like almost every time down the court. So we saw all the potential, I think, that makes him for a, a fabulous fit. Um, so I automatically dismiss a lot of people out there that are saying they want him traded. Look, when you're coming out and basically saying that you hate him and his stands, then you're automatically disqualified from the conversation, right? You, I don't care what your two cents is if you're focusing on something stupid like that. But I had to drop that in there, by the way, because I was so frustrated by all the comments I was reading after the game, after I finished doing the recap uh, on the angles and how people that I guess were hidden in the woodwork were coming out and hating on Lonzo again. Because we saw when they traded for him, they never gave him a chance. Same thing with Brandon Ingram. I mean, I hope you guys remember, a lot of people wanted Brandon Ingram coming off the bench. I mean, how ridiculous does that sound now? So in, in the spirit of development, you, you never do that. You never throw those type of limitations. But look, I, I think that Lonzo is going to be a great fit. But the bottom line is Griffin doesn't need to do an extension with him. Look, if, if you weren't going to do one with Brandon Ingram, who I thought showed kind of a lot right before his blood caught with the Lakers. And both parties were more than amicable about, you know, just waiting, amiable about waiting. Then why not do the same with Lonzo? So I'm fully expecting that they may broach the subject, you know, but they're not going to get anywhere because let's face it, Griffin's going to base it on, you know, totality of stuff. And Lonzo's, you know, resume isn't all that great, especially no max money near great. And for Lonzo, of course, you've got to expect he's going to want the max, right? He thinks so highly of himself. And look, I loved his tweet yesterday, right? So for all the people complaining about he has no fire and all this and that, I'm sorry, but to put yourself out there on social media and say, I want you to remember this next year, I think that tells me that he's got at least enough on the insides to where he was disappointed in his play. But, and he knows that's not who he is. So I don't know. I've seen still, I still, I'm way more pro Lonzo than I am you know, trying to find a replacement at point guard. Yeah. I mean, the guy, like, you know, he, like you talk about in the fast break, that, that stat, he's the, he's the fastest player in the NBA to turn a rebound into points, you know, and then also he makes passes that maybe two other people in the league can make, you know, so mm -hmm. he, he is a special player. So don't forget that even though, I mean, even in his struggles in the bubble, we saw several passes that were just jaw dropping, mm -hmm. you know, so you see the potential that's there. 
All right. Uh, we've got a couple more questions. Uh, I, I think we covered Bradley Schneller. Uh, thank you guys so much. 24 questions today, uh, which, which is close to a high, if not a high. So I'm going to try to get to as many of them uh, as I can. Uh, we're, we're getting a lot in the same vein. And I'll go to Kevin because uh, Kevin just got a brief point in there. Just in terms of the Pelicans needing a new voice, whether that be Alvin Gentry, whether that be, as alt-timeline Hank says, a, a goon like a Rajon Rondo, Draymond Green, what's it going to take to turn around the effort to hold guys accountable in-game and to get these guys on the same page that these 14-3 to three stars just aren't acceptable? Do you think they need a head coaching change to turn that around? Is it just player buy-in with the guys they already have? Or do you think they need that kind of presence in the locker room? Yeah, I think it's both. I think they really they really messed up in in this past offseason and not bringing in a new staff to have like build a new culture from the ground because there was such high turnover in the roster, like continuity didn't matter and I didn't and I never really was sold on Alvin Gentry as a long-term, you know, guy who's going to get uh get you to your ceiling. Um so I thought they really made a mistake there and they could have brought in a whole new staff to install, install a culture with these young guys from the very beginning and identify one of these young guys as the leader and get him to become the vocal leader because Drew's been here forever. We know he's not a vocal leader. Um, there's the only real vocal guy on this team right now is JJ Redick and your vocal leader can't be your sixth man. You know, that's just not how it works. So you need I think you need more of a guy on the staff that takes more accountability and demands more accountability. Um, I think we saw, we talked about this on the part in the paint episode that Chris and I were on uh, where I, I felt like not having Bizdelic in the bubble was a problem because he was the, he's the asshole of the staff. You know, he's the guy that's going to choose mm-hmm. somebody out and demand accountability. Jamel does that too. You know, you have a bunch of ni- nice guys on the staff otherwise. And and then, you know, player wise, you just have JJ. So we've we since Chris Paul left, we've had a void in on court leadership. You know, we've relied on bench veterans um, and that just doesn't really work. Uh, so they definitely need to identify a guy that's going to be the voice of this team and groom him to be that that guy. If he's on the roster right now, say it's Lonzo or or Ingram or Zion, groom them to be the leader or you go and get that guy to be whatever the, you know, the fifth starting spot that you're replacing somebody in, whether that's at center or, or, you know, if you're moving Drew or, or, you know, if they decide that they're going to trade Lonzo for some, somebody else, you need to find who that guy is to be the guy that keeps everybody in, in line and demands accountability. Like Chris always says, you, we need an asshole in the locker room and we just don't have that right now. And you do, you do definitely need that. You can see it. You've always seen it since, you know, the the Chris Paul era ended. You know, Anthony Davis wasn't a leader. Drew Holiday's not. Mm -hmm. He's a leader, but in terms of uh, his work ethic and and stuff like that, he inspires people that way. But he's not the kind of guy that vocally is going to motivate or or really get in somebody's ass for accountability and those kind of things. And we've seen that this team doesn't talk on the court. So we need somebody that creates that environment. And I felt like, a coaching staff change one that would be one of the most important things is a guy that mm-hmm. really installs you know on court communication especially on the defensive end and that's something that we haven't had and I don't I can't even remember you know so I, I think those are the two biggest needs and they have to come from both things the lock the, the court and from the uh staff all right uh, yeah I was just I, I, yeah go and get in there <laughs> no, I, I think Kevin Ray, an excellent point again. Kevin, you're on fire today. Yeah, during the AD days, the Pelicans, those young teams, Monty Williams was a hard ass. And I remember writing an article um, to where saying it wasn't even enough. If you guys remember during the playoff run, 2014-15, Pelicans had a bad stretch. They were playing 500 ball, winning one, losing one. But they had a bad stretch on an East Coast trip where they lost – and in miserable fashion, a couple of games to the, the 76ers and Knicks. And I remember going off on a team talking about how they need a type A personality. They need somebody to get pissed off and be angry about what's happening. Because it's not enough that Monty Williams is that guy. Same analogy to what you're saying now. J.J. Reddick's not enough. You need to have as many of these people as you can. And hopefully you've got one on the coaching staff, a couple in the locker room with the players, et cetera. 
And the Pelicans are, have nowhere near that. So that's one of the biggest reasons why I don't see him in favor of moving on from Alvin. I think this young roster needs a lot more discipline. You know, veteran coaches have, that prefer a lighter atmosphere, I think, do wonders, as we saw with the Golden State Warriors, for veteran squads. Um, more mature players, ones who already understand the game and what's asked of them to bring to each game, right? Effort levels and stuff. This team doesn't have it, and they clearly showed that here in Orlando. So I feel like you need to go find a coach that has that kind of characteristic in his wheelhouse, whether it's a Jerry Stackhouse who, or Kenny Atkinson, David Fisdale. Not coincidentally, those are my top three choices in replacing Alvin should David Griffin choose on to move from him. But, yeah, I, I think that accountability has been, you know, kind of lacking with this team, right? You see it in the post-game conferences with Alvin not wanting to throw the young guys under the bus, and rightfully so, because that's the quickest way to lose a locker room that other coaches in this league have made, right? That's why John Calipari didn't last. Rick Pitino, same thing happened with Boyd, or um, who, who was um, the coach of the Cavaliers this year? Whoever that was, he got fired. Right? Boy, he was the old Michigan, yeah, Michigan college Slugs. Coach. He said, I said slug, yeah. not thugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you guys get my point. So, yeah, I think if you're going to make a move, I think that's number one, one of the major reasons. Because Alvin does has his positives. I don't want people to overlook that. I think he's a great strategist. He can see what he has on his roster and how he can then use, utilize them, right? I mean, Mealy gets Zion, and suddenly Zion's leading the league in points in the paint. I don't, that's not a coincidence. Same thing with Lonzo, getting him a comfort system where he doesn't have to run the half court. You put the ball in Ingram and Holiday's hands and just make Lonzo a three-point shooter. You know, I saw a lot of positive development with the young guys, but again, there's certain things that Alvin didn't bring, and so... This is the top of them, right? That's what I want to see. You know, this yeah. team has to basically get mad, get angry, and be able to, you know, when you get punched in the face, stand back up. Yeah, like I, I've always said, he is the North Turner of the NBA. He's an incredible yeah. <laughs> mind, but it just doesn't have what it takes to be the lead guy. And I think, you know, I was against his hiring, and he's done a better – I liked him more in his tenure than I expected to, but – the one moment that I really was like, okay, this guy will never take us to where we need to go because he doesn't have that leadership vibe is he was hired by the, by the Pelicans. He was still on the golden state staff. They won the championship. He's in the locker room. Everybody's celebrating. <laughs> he takes the microphone and he says, Anthony Davis, this is going to be me and you back here next year. It's like, you went to battle with this team this Golden State Warriors team all year, you reached the, you know, the highest goal possible. And you're taking that moment where you should be celebrating with the guys you battled with all year and you're shifting it to, to yourself and what you're doing in the future. And I just felt like that was just, you know, that told me everything I needed to know about what kind of leader oh. he was going to be. Especially you so hard. Team, you know? I mean, I like, think that's great marketing by Alvin. I, I think that was perfect. You know, if you want to inspire a kid, that you don't know who's a superstar in this league. You say something like that on TV. Damn the, the Warriors. You just won with them. Who cares? <laughs> I'm on the opposite side with you on that one. All right, Ali. We're going to follow this up. Uh, Pelicans Empire, David Feshke. Uh, we, we had a couple others who are basically just saying, what's the point of playing Zion, Brandon Ingram, and Drew Holiday the last two games? Do you turn it over to the kids now? Well, I think there's still plenty of reason you play Zion and B.I., right? Right. They still yeah, need a lot more games and minutes together because they they haven't had nearly enough. So I would play all them. But as far as the vets, you know, you play Drew maybe if you, especially if you're thinking he's definitely going to be back next year for continuity purposes with the young guys. You know, Ball, Ingram, and Zion. But the rest, yeah, for for favors, who's maybe question mark and definitely like each one. And, and you don't need to see anything out out of Redick, but you've got to be given Hayes, Nikhil, even Frank. You know, you've got to think right. that they're still trying to decide on what to off, what, whether to bring him back, and if so, at what price. Because Frank has acquitted himself well, I feel like, inside this bubble. So, But, yeah, definitely go with the young guys, Preston. There's no, no doubt there. They don't need to play Frank. Yes, they shut up. Don't start <laughs> this Fisher stuff. They need to drive him to the airport right now. Put him on a plane. Please. Uh, Man, uh, we, these biases and narratives within our group, Preston, don't you hate them? <laughs> I know. I I, I talked I mean, with Chris. Come on, man. Like he's had three NBA off seasons with Fred Vincent. He's still shooting thirty one percent 
from three. He's shot under 40% from the floor. He doesn't have a handle. He can't pass. He, he makes he's one, not a point guard. He makes he's one just pass a- every, every, yeah, but he's undersized. He he doesn't defend that great. Like I said, if you're if you're putting him in, Ooh, he's as, better than you think. He's not stopper. great, but he's, he's not phony awful. Allen, you know, as a defensive stopper, he's phony Allen. He he's not. Did a you great... see the intensity? Hey, seriously, Kevin, did you see his intensity the way he played with? It was so noticeably much higher out of a level than any of the starters for a lot of games. Sure, Don't you take that. Doesn't that count for anything? But also playing, we Jackson Hayes plays hard, you know, but he doesn't know what he's doing. And and like, you I'm think not, Jackson Hayes plays that hard? I, I don't think he plays that hard. He's moving around. I mean, like, I just yeah, I just don't get Frank. I mean, he has great athleticism. He has no handle. He he can't use that athleticism because he can't beat anybody off the dribble except for a, a, a plumbling. You know, like what? <laughs> and he can't shoot. And he's not he's not a difference making defender. Like. He's an okay defender, but he's not a difference-making defender that you can throw him out there and and sacrifice. Not you know, yet. And I just don't think. I mean, he's had three NBA off seasons. You know, he's twenty-two. The first year doesn't count. It really last year didn't either, right? All the uh, surgeries and leg issues he's had, foot issues. This was his only completely healthy year. My thing is, know. at best, <laughs> at best, he's a tenth man in this league. And probably, yeah. And with all the picks you have coming in, all the young guys you have, why not just take a chance on another 10th man? Because you've seen what you got from him, and 10th man is his ceiling. So let him go and use that roster spot for another gamble. Because the reason why is because the Pelicans will have enough roster spots to fill, they're not going to have that much money to spend, no cap space. They got to rely on exceptions. They have they got a lot of picks, that's restarting from. Yeah, but they're restarting from the ground up, and at some point you're going to need continuity, and you've got to take away from Frank and what he did with Josh Hart and Melly off the bench a few times, and that has to factor in, I feel like, in your decision-making. But overall, yeah, Kevin, I agree with a lot of what you're saying because Frank has not proven to be – if he's going to be a spark plug and he's going to be through scoring the ball because that's what everybody thinks he should be able to do, but if he's not efficient, then yeah, I mean, it's a wash, right? you got to be able to shoot over 40% from the field. A lot higher than just like 30, 32% from three. But I think there's other things you have to like about him. You can't ignore it. That's all. He's an inc- incomplete player for sure, but he's also still young. So I don't know. I, I don't like these evaluations that are so one-sided with young guys that I'm seeing everywhere. So sorry if I'm coming off a little harsh, yeah, but I'm just, I'm, I hate it. I just hate that. I'm glad we don't agree all the time. You know, you don't want to be like, you know, the we don't want to have a company line. We have different voices. True. I'm totally out on Frank. No, totally. And and I'm with Ali here in that he just turned 22 years old. Kenrich Williams also uh, minimal experience. And and playing hard is a skill. I, I know it's not what you guys want to hear. But the, the second part of this is Kenrich Williams and Frank Jackson are going to be cheap. It's, it's hard to get wings in this league that are as cheap as they are, especially young ones with any kind of upside. And you're right that the Pelicans do have as many as three second round picks this year. But how many second round picks do the Pelicans have on the roster that they've that they've you know, selected themselves. Like what other Frank than uh, Frank Jackson, you've got uh check Diallo who was let go. I want to say uh, two seasons ago. So not a high track record for second round picks with the Pelicans. Of course, we have high hopes for Didi uh, potentially as a two-way prospect this year, but uh, just in terms of second uh, round prospects, it's, it's, it's a lot more missed than it is hit with that. With yeah. that being said, of course, you want to take most of ours too. You know, like we don't, we didn't even take a lot of second round picks in the Demps era. Yeah, for sure. So let's go ahead and move on. Um, we'll go ahead and close with this. Uh, Cornelius Turd, <laughs> her uh, hilarious name, by the way. We're, we're going to get to draft uh, later. Obviously, the three of us aren't experts. Hopefully, we will be by October. And we will talk to Ben Pfeiffer and some other guys like Jonathan Wasserman to get you guys some some better intel on that as we, as we approach uh, that point of the offseason. But this is from our friend Saints Happy Hour podcast. Uh, Kevin, we'll get out on this. Uh, let's just have a little bit of fun with this. If he... If you needed the Pelicans to make one defensive stop to save your life, who would you bequeath all your worldly possessions to? And obviously the answer is Drew Holiday. So let's say over the course of the 20 years of Hornets Pelicans history, if you needed one stop to save your life, who are you going with? Over the the course of Hornets Pelicans history. So every team we've had. Yeah. Just since 2002 or whenever it was. I think, man, it's, I mean, if it's a stop, you're saying, right? Yeah, one stop. 
it's either going to be Drew Holiday or Chris Paul. I mean, I Drew Holiday is definitely the more gifted defender, but Chris Paul is the more gifted, uh, intangible, kick-your-ass kind of player. So I, I'm going to go with Chris Paul, actually, because it just his mentality. There's no way he's given up a big shot. This I'll, isn't I'll, a fair question because what if it's a big, right? Then then you want Tyson Chandler out there. If it's a bigger wing, then you want Trevor Ariza, I feel like. I wouldn't put Holiday and Paul, even though they're great, on, on somebody that's like 6'7 or bigger, right? There's better options. I'm just going to go with Chris Paul because in uh, 2000, I think it was 2010, that first round playoff series, I think they were the 2-7 matchup and it was late in the game. And and I, I'll be the first to tell you that Kobe Bryant will shoot regardless of whether or not his shot's going in. But I felt like there were very few guys who could stop Kobe. The, the guy who was stopping Kobe was Kobe. Chris Paul was the first guy, at least in a Hornets uniform, that I saw go toe-to-toe in the post. I saw him warming up. I was at the game and I saw him uh, practicing defending the post before the game. And then wouldn't you know it in the fourth quarter, he matched up with Kobe and he stymied him throughout the fourth. Kobe could not get a look that he wanted. And that was the first time I could remember somebody really shutting Kobe down. Okay. That's cool. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Chris Paul's a noted defender, but I'm just saying if there's somebody bigger, you're not going to put a little diminutive point guard on him. Right. That's all. I just think that the question has different answers because there's different variables, but that's just me. All right, forget it. We don't need to have any fun on the Bird Calls <laughs> podcast. We'll just we'll just uh, stick to despair and hopelessness. Uh, we we do have two games left: uh, the Kings and my beloved Orlando Magic, who are just as tragic to watch. Kevin, anything you're looking forward to? Anything you would like the Pelicans to do in these two matchups to make you feel a little bit better heading into the off season? Well, the good news is the Pelicans are undefeated in meaningless games this year, so we're probably going to chat with two wins because these <laughs> games are now meaningless for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely excited for them to, for them to play Nikhil a lot more. I still really believe in Nikhil, and I want to see him get some playing time and, and watch those ridiculous one-handed passes and bounce passes and things like that and see if he can, uh, you know, show flashes for a long stretch. Um and then, you know, see Ingram and uh, Zion, like, work on fit more. And, you know, hopefully Lonzo has some bounce-back games the last couple of games, too, just to get his confidence up going into the offseason and to, you know, sort of have people uh, at least dampening the the fire on their torches for him um, somewhat. Um, so th- that's what I'm looking for. But I want to see the young guys play more for sure. And uh, I want to see him just have fun playing basketball because the, the last – you game? I mean, the scrimmages, they looked like they were having a lot of fun. And then once the game started to count, it, I don't know what happened, but it just all fell apart and it looked like it was a chore for them. So hopefully they um, they have fun and provide some entertainment for us. And, you know, tomorrow, Grub and I get to watch uh, us play the Kings on our birthday. So hopefully they'll give us a good present with a nice performance and not have us uh, burping up birthday cake all day. <laughs> Oleander? <laughs> Um, I guess we'll, yeah, we'll just watch these last two games and then start, of course, doing the offseason stuff, right? So we'll talk about, I guess, various coaches and, of course, look up and down this roster. So it'll be good times, man. I, I still want people to be, realize that when you've got Lonzo Ball, Zion, and Brandon Ingram as, like, basically your young core, that's a lot better than most teams that ever get, right, that opportunity because we saw the flashes by all three of them. So hey, I'm still I'm still super positive about the future. Throw in Josh Hart in there too because he's 25. He's an old guy. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I just but no, to... you're right, Kev. Yeah, there's other guys that are definitely should be included with them. That guy, I mean, he's definitely like a guy you want on this team long term. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he does all the dirty work, plays very hard, can hit threes. He's getting much better at driving. Uh, and you know, don't you love how Josh Hart became everybody's favorite, but the start of the year, there are so many that weren't even willing to give him minutes in the regular rotation. Yeah. <laughs> I had to put that in there. <laughs> no, I, I just want to see effort. Um, I, I think my favorite version of the Pelicans, at least in the past three seasons was the, uh, what I called the Drew crew with Drew Holiday leading a unit that was Frank Jackson, Kenrich Williams, some version of um, Julius Randle, Jaleel Okafor. But, but what was so fun about them was I, I didn't care how top heavy with, they were they they just fought 
They fought. And even when teams got up by 20, 25 points, as soon as the fourth quarter started, they started pulling their guys and the Pelicans put in their reserves. They fought back and they made those guys reinsert their their starters just to finish out that game. And and regardless of what the outcome is, you just want to see your team fight. You just want to see effort. You just want to know that these guys are care and and i think as long as we see that from these final two games i'll i'll be a lot more pleased than i have been thus far uh thank you guys so much for listening thank you for all your questions i think we're up to 30 uh responses so far so obviously uh there's still a lot of passion in this fan base regardless of the outcome so far uh you guys can follow kevin at kevin b for bounce uh at ali cosell we'll definitely recap those games and get into the offseason as as that transpires before that uh kevin do you want to tell our listeners about your pencil drawings sure um also i just want to say you just made me remember that julius randall was even on this team (laughs) forgot that experience um and it was so recent um yeah so i've been doing a lot of uh color pencil illustrations of birds things like that um been selling the originals but i'm gonna start making some prints too that'll be cheaper um so uh scroll my timeline i'll be posting stuff as as i make it if you're interested in anything hit me up and i'll let you know tell you about pricing and I'm also taking commission work. So um, if there's something that you want, um, then you can reach out to me and we can, I can draw something specifically for you. I do have a few things available now that are like not claimed that, that are for sale, but mostly I'm working on commission stuff right now. Cause I got like eight commissions in the pipeline that I need to crank out. Um, I do, I'm working on a Pelican right now that I think is coming out really well. And I'm going to make some prints of that, which, you know, might be something you guys are interested in. And um, I'd also like to say, go check out that article that Chris and I wrote last off season about coaching search. If you're interested in some coaching candidates, there's a lot of good ones in there. Um, you know, that was before Atkinson and uh, Bisdale were available and also, you know, Darvin Ham's not in there and uh, forgetting his name, the guy, the assistant from Toronto who's um, a hot uh, name right now, but there's a lot of good names in there with a lot of breakdown of what they could possibly bring to this team. Um, so go check that out. I think it's a fun read too, because um, it's a different kind of take on the coaching search. Um, and that's all I'm going to say. I'll pass it to Ollie. No, no, I've already had the baton. <laughs> all right well i've got two articles on bleacher report today uh every top 10 nba free agents biggest red flag and the six biggest surprises from nba's orlando bubble so far on wednesday i'll have the worst disappointments and tomorrow i'll have the game preview for the kings i get the honor of uh that assignment and uh of course you guys can follow Preston, out. did you press i just gotta ask real quick how much love did you give tj warren kevin's Ooh. like one of his favorite players ever i feel like yeah, uh, he is leading the NBA in scoring right now, over 34 points per game. Uh, he's the last name on the slide because I did it alphabetically. Uh, but uh, I, I highlighted his matchup with the Lakers because, I, and I'm doing this off memory, I want to say in the last minute 25, he scored seven uh, consecutive points. It was seven of their last nine points, but before I want to say Oladipo put it away with uh, two free throws late. Uh, but I what was some of it. He made AD look bad, man. It, it was incredible to see. I that's what him. I was going to say. More impressive than even his scoring tally was he went head-to-head with Anthony Davis for those minutes, so everybody's thinking about him as this uh, sensational scorer off the bat, uh, or uh, without DeMontis Sabonis and Jeremy Lamb. He's getting seven more, I think it's seven more shots a game. Uh, I'm doing that off memory. But what he did defensively is even more so impressive and i know that's mm-hmm. kevin's guy so kevin if you if you want to gloat go ahead man i mean i've been a huge fan i've wrote an article that involved us trading for him in, in the draft uh and it got on the front page of yahoo sports i've been very into him from the very beginning i love his unorthodox like stuff around the basket his floaters the way he finishes through contact and then his last year in phoenix he really added that three-point shot um and so it, it's I'm very happy to see him flourishing uh, in the league and getting a lot of attention because I thought he was one of the most gifted scorers coming into the league. Um, And, you know, everybody's now talking about the trade uh, that was just incredibly ridiculous um, from the Phoenix standpoint. Um, But it was extremely frustrating for me because we needed a wing for so long and, Mm -hmm. you know, they paid to get rid of him. We could have, with all the bevy of second round picks and whatever we had, you know, we could have had that guy. And then you could have had, imagine an offensive juggernaut of TJ Warren, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson being your front line for the next few years, once they learn how to defend. Um, and in terms of 
Yeah, go ahead. So I was gonna say, do you remember? It was like what three, four years ago, and you were giving T.J. Warren all the love. Do you remember what I used to say to you? What was that? Well, the reason why I didn't like him or wanted to see him end up on the Pelicans because he was a black hole. He wasn't coachable, and look where he is today. So think about all the people complaining about Brandon Ingram or whoever, whichever young guy in the Pelicans. Just just look at T.J. Warren, what he became. Like you look past all the things that a lot of other people, like myself included, were saying about him. That's why the Phoenix Suns basically ditched him for nothing. You know, because he had a certain repertoire or, you know, whatever, the way people consider him around the league. But like I said, look at him now, man. So don't 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 write these, you know, finalities with these young players now. That's all. Because, yeah, Kevin, I remember you constantly bringing them up in all your trade articles that you used to love. And I wish you would still write them, man, even though they were long. But they were fun because you had really good analysis picking out all these guys who have now turned it. A lot of them have turned into something special or very good players on uh, good teams. Yeah. And I would also just say defensively, what I was going to say is like, it's not really a, a shock that an undersized guy held Anthony Davis in check. I mean, we saw that so many times, you know, Jared Dudley, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's his weakness is being guarded by a smaller guy. So like, you know, I, I, that wasn't that shocking to me, honestly. You guys, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. If you can do us one more favor, make sure to rate us on iTunes, share this, retweet it, take somebody else's phone, do the same on their phone, and also do so for Hard in the Paint with David Grubb, who is not with us today because he is hard at work recording other podcasts. Uh, for now, I know tough times, but we've got two games left, and then we've got a whole off season to look forward to. And off seasons can be exciting because with off seasons come possibilities. So for now, you guys, thanks for listening. Let's dance. Let's go, pals. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today black lives matter and we're continuing to do our part here at the bird calls that's why we've created the armchair all american scholarship thanks to contributions from armchair myself music is my refuge r anders 36 andrew juge ralph malbro and many more armchair media will be issuing four $500 scholarships per semester to aspiring black creatives. The criteria is African-American, under 21, and in a creative field. To apply, send something you've created, whether photography, art, music, anything, to scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. We can't wait to see your application.